You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. So the bottom line here, is Jesus real to me? So the New Testament tells us that we are not to believe things about him only, but we are to know him. You know, a good way to examine yourselves concerning knowing him or not is are we able to hold conversations with the Lord? And 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 the truth of the matter is that's all that prayer is. We're having a conversation with the Lord. How do you know if you really know who Jesus is? Not just intellectual knowledge about Jesus' life, but actually know him personally and intimately. The best way to get to know Jesus is by spending time reading the Bible, memorizing verses, and talking to him through prayer. Have you ever been praying and then a verse pops in your mind? In today's message, Pastor Mike will explain that that's one way that God is talking back to you through His Word as it comes to your mind. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 John chapter 2 as he begins his message knowing that we know Him. John chapter 2, and we'll just pick up where we left off last time, and that would be in verse 3. So our text is verses 3 through 6 in 1 John chapter 2, and this morning's message, the title is Knowing That We Know, Knowing That We Know, picking up in verse 2, 1 John chapter 2, I'm sorry, in verse 3. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he, that is Jesus, walked. So once again, this evening's message, knowing that we know him. Now John tells us here in this text of scripture, that there are just some things that Christians should know. Uh, I guess you can put it this way. Christians are people who know what they know. There are certain of the knowledge that they possess. The things that we talk about on a regular basis, week in and week out, when we deal with the certain doctrines of the Bible and, and the who God is, the nature of God, the character of God, all of the things that pertain to Christianity. God wants us to know these things as facts things that would strengthen us in our walk and our relationship with him. 
So as Christians, there are just certain things of the knowledge that we possess, things that we're sure about. Just think of it as certain assurances. Now, this is a part of a process as well. God reasoning with us. The Bible tells us, God speaking to his people, he says, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. And that's what goes on in, in a service like this one this evening. As the word goes forward, God is reasoning with us. Now, let me also say that the doctrine of assurance, let's just refer to it in that way, is woven particularly throughout John's epistle here in 1 John. For example, turn with me, if you would, to chapter 5 and verse 13, the last chapter in this book of the Bible. In verse 13, let me give you an example of this. He says, These things I have written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. There's your assurance right there. Not that maybe you have eternal life or quite possibly you have eternal life. No, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, how important is this? There are so many Christians that really doubt their eternal security, where they're going to spend eternity. And, and this is a question that a lot of Christians, unfortunately, wrestle with. They're up and down, and you know, one minute they believe that they know where they're going to spend eternity and that they're going to be with God, and then in the next moment they don't. So it really sort of uh, keeps them off balance in their relationship with the Lord. And so insurance is such a blessed thing in our lives. Because if you think about it, it carries through, all of, it carries us through, that is, all of life's difficult experiences, right? And so when we, when we have the assurances of God's word, when we know these things that God wants to do for us, has planned to do for us, it just strengthens us. It, it enables us to bear our burdens. Like, for example, and I'm just going to quote a couple of probably the ones that you're more familiar with, but the Bible is just filled with all of these wonderful promises for God's people, for his kids. Romans chapter 8, the, probably one of the more familiar ones to you, in verse 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a great promise, right? And there, right there, we have the assurance that nothing can separate us from God. In fact, let me, let me, I guess I ought to mention and add to that, the only thing that actually can separate you from God is you, <laughs> if that's the choice that you make. Let me give you another text of Scripture. And in context, I want you to understand that what I'm about to share with you as a cross-reference was written by Paul when he was in prison, and he didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring. But nevertheless, he had the assurance, and he refers to it here in 2 Timothy in chapter 1 and verse 12. He says, for this reason I also suffer these things. He's a prisoner now. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know, there it is, that, that assurance that he had, whom I have believed, and I am persuaded, all of these words express his assurance in God, that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. And exactly what was it that he committed to God? His life, right? His tomorrows, his todays, his present, his future, all of those things. So assurance is such an important thing, and it carries us through all of life's difficult experiences. Now, what exactly are we to know? Well, John here in our text, let's go back to our text, plainly draws our attention to two specific things here. And these are the two that we want to focus in on. The first of which is, and if you're taking notes, write this down. 
We are to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So write that down. We are to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go back to our text. Notice in verse 3. He says, now by this we know that we know him. And in context, he's referring to Jesus. So the first thing that we are to know is the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice, John does not say we are to know certain things about him, where he was born, or he practiced the trade of being a carpenter, probably following in his father's footsteps, or even all of the miracles that he performed that are recorded for us in the four Gospels. This word know means so much more than that. It refers to something personal, something direct, something immediate, something intimate. And that's, what God, and that's what John is referring to here, that we might know Christ in all of those ways that I just suggested. So John tells us here, we should know the Lord Jesus in this kind of a way. Now here's a question for you. And something that I think we should ask ourselves. And this sort of will gauge and help us test ourselves whether or not we know him in those ways, in an intimate and personal kind of a, a way. When we pray, for example, do I know God? Am I simply going to offer up a prayer of hopes and fears and aspirations, or do I know that God is there? So the bottom line here is Jesus real to me. So the New Testament tells us that we are not to believe things about him only, but we are to know him. You know, a good way to examine yourselves concerning knowing him or not is are we able to hold conversations with the Lord? And, that, and, if, and the truth of the matter is that's all that prayer is. We're having a conversation with the Lord. Are you having fellowship and communion with him? Now, what does that look like, and how does it work itself out in the life of a believer? Well, we've studied the scriptures. We, we know certain portions of the scripture. We we're, we're, we're still continue to be students. There is, we don't know everything that there is to know that is uh, recorded in the word of God, and that's why we come together to study the word, to become more familiar with God's plan for our lives, his promises, who he is, the character, the nature of God. You could be in your prayer closet, and your prayer closet could be wherever. You could be walking down the street and you're in your prayer closet or in your home, in your living room, wherever. And there's something weighing heavily upon you. And so you bring it before the Lord in prayer. You come boldly, as the Bible puts it in the book of Hebrews, come boldly before the throne of grace in time of need. And you express your desires, your aspirations, your needs, your concerns, your fears, all of those things. And, and, and in a still, quiet, small voice, God brings to our remembrance certain verses of Scripture. It's a part of the processes of God's Holy Spirit. And it's God speaking to us, right? And that's what fellowship and communion looks like. And that's how we know that we know God. We're having this conversation. It's, yes, it's not an audible conversation, but it might as well be. It's just as intimate as if he was, in fact, he is in the room, right? Where two or more are gathered together in his name, he's in the midst of us. He's here in the midst of us. It doesn't matter how many, there's more than two of us here, okay? And, and so do you have that kind of an experience when you go to the Lord in prayer? Where, you know, you bring your needs, your concerns, your fears before him, and, and there's a response. And, and all of a sudden you're reminded of a certain verse of scripture, and you know that you're having fellowship and communion with God. That's what that looks like. And that's what John is referring to here in this text of scripture, when under this category, 
he encourages us that we are to know the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an integral part of knowing him. So that's the first point this evening. Now, the second thing that we are to know, according to John, let's go back to our text of Scripture in verse 5, is that we are in him. Do you know that you are in Christ in him? Now, here is the other doctrine, which John is constantly teaching, that we are not even to stop at a knowledge of him in a sense of a personal, intimate acquaintance. We, we are to be aware of a union with him, and uh, the Bible refers to it as a mystical union of the believer with Christ. Notice there in verse 5 that we are to know that we are in him or in Christ. How often in the New Testament do we see that same phrase used, in Christ? The believer is in Christ. Over and over and over again, we are reminded of that fact. So the Christian is someone who is in Christ, like the branch in the vine. In John's Gospel in chapter 15, in verse 5, we read there. Now, this is Jesus, and he's talking about this relationship that we have with him, him in us and us in him. And he uses this analogy. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And so the Christian is in Christ like the branch in the vine. And this is a vital, organic relationship. It's not some kind of a mechanical attachment, but a live one. We are sharing the life of the vine itself. Are you aware of that? That's something to trip on, man. I tell you, I mean, think about it. Christ living his life through us. It's an amazing thing. So John says we should know that we are a part of Christ, that we are in him and he in us, and we have received of his life. That is, we should be aware of another quality of life, aware of the life of the Son of God himself in our lives, working in our lives and through our lives. Paul put it like this in the book of Galatians in chapter 2 and verse 20. He says, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Now, can you say that for a surety? Do you know that? You see, that's what John is encouraging his readers to experience. That's what he wants each and every... It's just, this is the norm, folks. This isn't something from, for some super class of Christians. Right from the very get-go, our, our conversion experience, this is something that God wants each and every one of us to experience. And so John says... We must know these things. We know that we know. But let me ask you, how does a Christian know these things? How can we know this without question? Well, that brings us to our third point, and that is, how do we validate our experience? How do we know that God, that Jesus, is living in and through us? How do we validate our experience? Well, someone might respond to that question, uh, by saying something like, well, I've had a Moses experience. God has spoken to me out of a burning, fiery bush, and he's called my name, and I responded. Someone might respond in that, in that way. Or some other mystical, supernatural kind of a, an experience. But that's not what John is suggesting here. No, John says, examine your conduct. Examine your life. 
That's how we validate this experience. How do we know them? Not from the strange, not from the, even the supernatural or the mystical, but notice in verse 3, simply he says, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments. Now, what does that suggest to us? First of all, it's not by feelings, and it's not by certain sensations, and it's not by visions, it's not by amazing answers to prayers, and I'm not suggesting that God doesn't do that in the life of a believer. He will, but that's not what John is telling us here. And don't misunderstand me. These are experiences in the Christian life. From time to time, you're going to have these kinds of things. You know, I think of uh, Paul. You know, talk about a supernatural experience. In 2 Corinthians in chapter 12, he's rehearsing what had taken place, uh, an event that uh, happened in the book of Acts, when he was taken, I always get this wrong. Is it Lystra or Iconium? I forget. It's Lystra, isn't it? Where he's taken outside of the city limits, and he's actually put to death through stoning. And as the bodies begin to hit his body, he, he actually, he died right there on the spot. He, his body fell to the ground. He's lying on the ground motionless. And then he talks about this experience of being caught up to the third heaven. And the third heaven was a reference to the dwelling place of God. And he saw things that were so amazing that he couldn't put words to them. But God wasn't finished with them. In contemporary terms, I, I don't know if this would be accurate or not, because it, it's a term that's used loosely in our society today, but he sort of had an out-of-the-body experience. But there's a bad connotation to that today. But nevertheless, God wasn't finished with him. And so he sent him back to the earth, and breathe life back into him once again. He rose to his feet, brushed the dirt off of his raiment, and then off he went into the next city to do it all over again. That which got him in trouble in the first place, and he just did it all over again. So talk about an experience. I mean, he died, was brought back to life, was caught up into the third heaven, the dwelling place of God. He saw things that he had never seen before, never experienced before. Words were... He couldn't use words to describe the things he had seen. So I'm not suggesting that Christians don't have these kinds of experiences, although I, I, got a, I mean, a lot of people have made a lot of money writing books about those kinds. And, you know, sometimes you've got to doubt it. But, I mean, it could, it could happen. But John doesn't put those things first. He doesn't put feelings first. He doesn't put sensations first. He doesn't put visions first. Amazing answers to prayers first. So here's the first test. What is your life like? How do you know that you are in Christ? How, well, it all comes down to this, your conduct, the way that you live. This is the test by which we know that we are his is simply this. Are we keeping his commandments? That's what he's, that's what he's telling us here. Now, when we refer to the commandments of God, what are we talking about? Well, this, of course, would include the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament. It would also include Christ's teachings on the Sermon on the Mount. And it would also include the ethical, the moral and ethical teachings that are recorded for us in the New Testament. All of which would, be, would fall into that category of the commandments of God. Those are his commandments. So I need to keep them. Now, if that is your major concern, 
your ambition, guess what? You're on the right path. That's a good thing. And that validates whether or not Christ is in you. Notice what it says in verse 6. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he, that is, Jesus, walked. Okay, so you're going to be very concerned about the commandments of God. And you're going to be very careful to, to keep them. You're not going to be perfect. It's an impossibility to be perfect. Don't, don't misunderstand where I'm going with all of this. And this doesn't determine our salvation neither, because then it would be predicated upon our faithfulness and not God's faithfulness, or our performance rather than Christ's performance, dying for us on the cross. But the Bible often describes our life as a walk. We're walking with Christ. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8 tells us, For you were sometimes in darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Therefore, walk as children of light. And, and it's a wonderful picture of the Christian life. It's a journey. We're walking along together with Christ. Now, let's define that walk. Let's talk a little bit about that walk. And that brings us to our fourth point this evening, and that is walking as Jesus walked. Now, remember, think about this. That which takes of the life of something, now remember, we're talking about our being one with Christ, in Christ. So with that in mind, remember, that which takes of the life of something represents and manifests that self-same life, right? And there should be an absence of us in a very real presence of Jesus Christ in each and every one of our lives. Let's go back to verse 6 again and read it one more time. Maybe it'll make a little bit more sense to us. He who says he abides in him, you know, we claim to be a Christian, we are in him, he, he is in us, ought himself also to walk just as Jesus walked. So this makes this demand upon us of walking as Jesus walked. Okay, so that begs the question then, well, how exactly was it that Jesus walked while he was here upon the earth? Well, simply, we need to see and study how Jesus walked through the pages of the Gospels. And as we do that, the first thing, and I'm just putting a brief list together, and you probably could add to this list. At the top of the list, well, I don't know if it should be at the top of the list, but this, anyway, this is the list that they came up with. So as we do that, the first thing you'll see is that Jesus was humble, Jesus was lowly, and an extremely meek person. Now, I got to tell you, I think there is an absence of these virtues in the majority of churches today. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. Oh, my That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. We invite you to connect with Pastor Mike and listen to more teachings from God's Word by visiting HarvestNYC.org. At our website, you'll learn all about his ministry and the church it stems from, Harvest Christian Fellowship. We'd love you to join us for worship this Sunday at 11 a.m. You can reserve your seat online by clicking on Contact. 
We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, though, or if you're just unable to attend in person right now, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time of studying God's Word. We're live-streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch up with previous messages, check out the link under Resources for One Place. Just click on the earphones to listen in. You can also watch other services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. How can we be praying for you right now? Feel free to fill out the contact form at harvestnyc.org. We're honored to lift you up to the Lord in prayer. Thanks for joining us today on In My Father's House. Oh